Who am I? I have to uh, <clears throat> admit that I am not very good at answering that question for myself. I remember to this day one of my first job interviews after college. It was with IBM. And uh, back in those days, IBM was like Apple and Google and probably Microsoft is today. It was huge and the leader in technology, and it was cool, and everybody wanted to work for him. Uh, well, the interviewer, I remember, asked me, I thought it was weird, he asked me to stand up and go to this whiteboard and tell him about me. Who are you, is, was his question, basically. And uh, I thought I did a pretty good job of you know, reciting my resume material. And, uh, uh, and after a few minutes of doing that, I was done. And, uh, but I noticed that my whiteboard was empty. I chose not to use it. Um, I didn't get the job. And I realized later that though I was confident that I knew who I was and that I didn't need that stupid whiteboard to show him that I was the best person for the job, uh, he didn't see it that way at all. I had no value to him or to IBM. So in spite of my confidence in who I was, uh, I had little value to him. I recently read an article by a lady by the name of Jean Harrison that I want to share excerpts with you. She evidently does some writing, but primarily she's a homemaker. And uh, lamenting the menial tasks of her daily work, she writes, When I was young, I had big ambitions for serving God. And incredibly, not one of them included scraping crusty noodles off the dining room floor. I imagined myself going on mission trips with my husband, authoring books, teaching children, serving the poor. Sure, I do variations of those things now, but do you know what I do 90% of the time? Laundry. <laughs> she goes on and she writes, Last night, I looked at the week ahead and realized I wasn't excited about anything I had to accomplish. As a matter of fact, I was the opposite of excited, deflated, weary, discouraged. Through my tears, I told God, I don't want to serve you this way. Please, please, let me do something bigger. Let me do something better. Then she reads in the Bible, in Colossians 3, verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And she contemplates that verse, and she writes further, I imagined myself holding out a Christmas gift to God, only it wasn't the present he wanted. It was the present I wanted to give him. Like buying your husband a weed whacker when he asked for golf clubs. <laughs> really, it was a gift for myself. She began to understand that God wasn't opening any doors, she writes. He wasn't opening any doors for me to become a world-famous author or a world-famous anything. Instead, he was pointing me back to the opportunities that sat right in front of me, opportunities to love and serve a family, 
that needs to eat and play and wear clean clothes and occasionally even bathe. <laughs> she considers a few more verses in Colossians chapter 3. And she gets to 23 and 24 where it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. She writes, do you realize what that means? It means there is value in the most menial corners of our lives. And a few lines later, she writes, standing in my laundry room, I realize that I serve a God so generous that he's willing to make ordinary moments sacred. He's willing to commune with me in the humdrum of everyday life. He's willing to credit my faithful folding of underwear as service to himself. In, in her case, she didn't think that she was who she was supposed to be. And she didn't think she, she had enough value. But, uh, but she came around to realizing that the opposite is true. She is exactly who she is supposed to be. And she has great value in God's eyes. So it's important for us to understand the answer to the question, who am I? We might save ourselves a lot of uh, frustration and disappointment if we can answer that question. But uh, the world does not make it easy on us to do that. We're confronted with the question a lot, frequently, I know, and in, in various ways. Some of them are pretty obvious, like a job interview or um, uh, completing the questionnaire on an, an online dating service. Uh, some might be more subtle, like the high school student or the college student that gets that oh-so-frequent question of, well, what are you going to do after graduating? The feeling is that we are being measured. Almost always the question being asked is, who are you? But the asker is really trying to get the answer to their real question, which is, are you someone I value? The world puts a lot of pressure on us that way. And it increases the pressure when it encourages us to find the answer or create an answer for ourselves. Who am I? Well, you are whoever and whatever you want to be and make of yourself. And that encouragement, it almost always centers on what you do for work or for play and how you look. And nowadays, we've added your sexual preference and even your gender. I uh, flipped on the TV just uh, yesterday, and within seconds I get hit with a commercial with the tagline, it's all about helping you be a better you. And the advertiser was eyeglasses. Almost all of the marketing that we experience has to do with improving yourself, enjoying yourself, or making yourself something new. 
And the news and entertainment industries just reinforce that. Those same messages. So the world is constantly telling us this, that who you are, the, 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 your identity, uh, who you are that matters is defined by things like what you do, what you look like, and your sexual identity that you choose. And the world also tells us that if we're not who we want to be, then uh, we just have to do more to change it. We have to do more to change it. Well, the Bible describes it differently. The world says, determine who you want to be, and then work at making that happen. The Bible teaches us that God has made us to be just who he wants us to be. And we have great value. And it has much to say about our our true identity, who we are. And uh, I want to share with you uh, what I think is a concise yet complete uh, summary of what the Bible teaches about the answer to who am I. Authors Tim Chester and Steve Timmis write, Who am I? I am a child of God, the bride of his son, and the dwelling place of his spirit. And this identity is given to me by grace. In the Bible, we're taught that who we want to be, who we want to be, or who we say we are, is not the most important thing. Then, and since that's not the more, most important thing, then the work that we, the world tries to get us to do to achieve that, that's not the most important work. Instead, we're taught by God that God has work for us to do. He has work for us to do. Good works, works that come out of being who he has made us to be. And these works are for the purpose of building up his church. Not not building a building, but a community of people, of believers that function as one body. And that's why we refer to it as the body of Christ. So the Bible teaches that God makes us who he wants us to be, And then he has us show that through good works that he has planned for us. Now, I hope just understanding that much just relieves some pressure. (laughs) He determines who I am. I don't have to invent myself. He's got all the work figured out. I don't have to work at making myself into something else. Now, but let me pause here and clarify that there is value in working at making yourself better, exercising, eating right, getting education and training, you know, being the best accountant, nurse, teacher, manager, homemaker, parent, husband, wife, child that you can be. There's value in all of those things. Uh, They're just not to be the centerpiece of our lives. They're just... If we didn't have those, we shouldn't fall apart. They're not to be the reason for our hope. They're just tools that are to be used uh, in being who he made us to be. The child of God, bride of his son, dwelling place of his spirit, and doing the work of building up his church. They're just tools to be used along the way. Ephesians 4 
And he, God, gave, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, the church, his church. So the overall work is to build up his church. And here the Apostle Paul describes um, some of the work that God has gifted individuals to do, equipping the saints for works of ministry. But the work of ministry is far more than just that. In the Bible, God has given us a number of portraits of, um, to describe who he has made us to be and how that identity is to be lived out. Among these portraits, God uses our soldier, athlete, farmer, builder, ambassador, prisoner, steward, parent, child, saint, heir, friend, bride, and many others. And you wonder, why so many? And, and uh, well, it's because there's a lot of different work in the ministry. It's, he has much work for us to do in this complex world. And it is varied. And he uses these, uh, these portraits or these visual aids to help us to understand So how do we avoid the pitfalls of making who the world says I am and the work of becoming that the focus of my life? How do we avoid that? Well, it's by understanding who God says I am and living that out as he planned for me. And in this series that we're launching today, um, we will explore these portraits Uh, that he's provided in his word so that we can be freed from that pressure that we feel from the world of trying to live up to our own expectations or other people's expectations or, you know, just those of the world around us. And when we consider the question, who am I? Our first thoughts should be, who does God say that I am? Today we're going to explore one of those portraits that answered the question, who does God say that I am? Uh, And I want today each of us to leave here knowing that you are God's masterpiece. And I want you to leave here knowing why it matters that you are. We find this portrait in Ephesians Chapter 2, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, this this verse packs a lot of punch, and uh, we're going to unpack it by focusing on two words, God's masterpiece. And as we go, we're going to give you a few things that, to fill in underneath, underneath each of those, if you choose to do that on your white sheet in your folder. First, our verse says that he created us anew. He created us anew. And what does that mean? He's talking about the saved soul. 
the believer in Christ who has been born again. We know that because just prior to our verse, Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. If your whole focus is your profession, or enjoying life to the fullest, or looking your best, or any of the other stuff that the world puts pressure on us to focus on, if your whole focus is that, you are dead. But God, God, he says in verse 5, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. He, you know, he didn't have to do that. It's just totally grace. We could not do it for ourselves, and he certainly didn't have to do it. It says, it is by grace you have been saved. In 2 Corinthians, we see, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. New creation is here. See, we're, we are not an improvement. We're not an improvement. A masterpiece isn't an improvement on something that already was of value. It's not an improvement on a previous something. It's the, the making of something special out of things that were virtually nothing. And just like God made his physical universe from nothing into a work of art that is our world and is our universe. Through Christ, he has made us from nothing, from, from being dead. He's made us into his masterpiece, a new creation. Charles Spurgeon writes, our new life is as truly created out of nothing as were the first heavens and the first earth. This ought to be particularly noticed, for, for there are some who think that the grace of God improves the old nature into the new. It does nothing of the sort. We are not an improvement. We are a new creation, his new creation. He has created us anew, in Christ Jesus, our verse says. In Christ Jesus, his son. Back in verse 1 of Ephesians 2 that we just looked at, we saw that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. And sometimes we see that referred to as being in Adam, or in the flesh, or in the world. In that we are dead. Before I was created anew in Christ Jesus, I was in Adam. I thought I could lead my life better than God could. I thought I could do enough good things on my own that I would be acceptable to him. I, don't, I didn't need him to plan good works for me, and I didn't need to, him to enable me to do them. But it's not possible. Jesus has told his disciples, I am the way and the truth 
and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's popular in entertainment these days to create characters who are torn between right and wrong, between good and evil. The title character in the TV series, Dexter, is one of those. We, uh, characters like this, we, they're, this tearing between good and, good and evil, right and wrong, it, because they have a little bit of good in them, they have some good in them, we, it makes us begin to feel like they are acceptable and almost endears us to them. Another one is Walter White in the TV series Breaking Bad. Right, we love Walter White. Star Wars is great at this. Anakin, Darth Vader, the new villain, Kylo Ren. They all, they all play on our sympathies because they mix in some goodness. God's word tells us that that is not reality. It is entertaining, but it's not reality. Uh, although the ways of this world create temptations and struggles for all of us, we have either accepted God's offer of grace and are alive in Christ, or we are in Adam and dead in our transgressions and sins. It's one or the other, in Christ or in Adam. It doesn't matter how talented we are, it doesn't matter how hard we work at it. It doesn't how much, matter how much we're willing to pay for it. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, was recently in the news for this really awesome thing that he and his wife have decided to do. They're going to gift, during their lifetimes, 99% of their Facebook shares to charity to make the world a better place. That's currently, that's just the current, the current value, $45 billion they're going to give. That's incredible. That's awesome. It's not enough. It, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, unless, unless Mark Zuckerberg and his wife are in Christ, and I hope that they are, they're still dead in their transgressions and sins. It's entirely God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, that creates His masterpiece. Entirely that. We're no more responsible for His masterpiece than the canvas and the paints that da Vinci used to paint the Mona Lisa are responsible for it. Next. Being God's masterpiece has been His plan for you, his plan for you all along. We, we just celebrated the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day. And I was thinking about how excited God the Father must have felt that day when Christ was born a couple thousand years ago. But many of you are parents or grandparents. You remember the excitement that you felt leading up to the birth of your child or grandchild? I, I think that 
that God gave us nine months of pregnancy to give us time to plan and anticipate and get excited and get prepared. Can you imagine if the human gestation period were one week instead of nine months? Uh, we would feel awfully unprepared and probably excitement would be replaced by fear and frustration and panic. Sometimes we still feel that, even after nine months. But instead, what we really do is we anticipate, and we, we, we do prepare, and we get excited, and it's, it's, a, it's a great thing when that child is born. And I just think God must have been that way, too. He's been preparing and getting excited about you being created anew for a long, long time. Your life on this earth is not an accident. It is not something that he slapped together at the last minute. And uh, he has been planning for you. And from Luke chapter 15, the, where Jesus tells the stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, we know that God gets excited about the part of the plan where you are created anew. For example, the shepherd of the one lost sheep leaves the other 99 to go find the one. And when he finds the one, he brings it back and he gathers all his friends and has a party for the one. Jesus explained that. He said, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Making you his masterpiece is his plan. And if you are saved already, the celebration is continuing in heaven. And if you are not yet, a celebration is planned for you. So let's now uh, turn our attention to the other side of this truth that we are God's masterpiece. The masterpiece side. In other translations of the Bible, you might see this word that's translated masterpiece, uh, translated as workmanship or, hand, or handiwork. The original Greek word is poema, which gives us our English word, poem. But we see these other English words because the, the original Greek word came to, be, to refer to uh, uh, a great accomplishment um, uh, that, of an artist, the greatest, in fact, accomplishment of an artist or a writer, their most important work. In, in Latin, their, their magnum opus. It is their greatest achievement. And we are God's masterpiece. We are, as a saved soul, his greatest achievement. Poema is only used one other time in the New Testament, and uh, it's, it's used to refer to God's physical creation. In Romans chapter 1, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, being understood from his handiwork, from his workmanship, 
in creating the universe. The universe and everything in it is God's work of art. And you don't have to think very hard or look very far uh, to see that. Just consider that the human body, consider the human body has a hundred trillion cells. Each one of them amazingly complex and has a specific function. The DNA in just one cell has as much information as a thousand books of 500 pages each. And now just consider your hands and wiggle your fingers and rub your hands together and realize that in fractions of a second your ears heard what I said. Your brain processed that, translated it into movement, and you could feel your own touch. How many trillions of cells did it take for that to happen in just fractions of a second? Our body and everything in it, uh, everything in this universe, are God's first masterpiece. And now God has bested that. If you are in Christ, you are his new masterpiece, his new greatest achievement. He considers your saved soul to be as great a work as the creation of the universe. Can you believe that? It's true. Masterpieces are not created to be covered up or hidden in some closet somewhere. An artist or a writer creates their magnum opus because they need to express and they want to share that expression with other people. So just as in God's physical creation, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, As a new creation in Christ Jesus, you are to display God through the good things he has planned for you to do. We are to display God. We are his greatest display as his masterpiece. I know that uh, sometimes it's hard to uh, see ourselves as masterpieces to display God's glory. It's hard to see ourselves that way. But he sees us differently than we see ourselves. Just as Jesus explained about the man born blind, Jesus and his disciples were passing by, saw this man, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's not an accident. It's a plan. Inspired by 2 Corinthians 3.3, Pastor Alan Carr writes, If you are saved, your life is God's love letter to a lost, dead world. He has written his love in you and on you And through you, he tells this world that he loves sinners, that his son died to redeem the lost, that there is life-changing power in the grace of God, 
that the gospel is real and that Jesus Christ makes a difference in every life he redeems through the power of his blood. You are God's billboard upon which he writes his love for the lost. You are God's billboard for putting him on display. Allow me to uh, leave you with, <clears throat> with just a couple of thoughts about why this matters for us to understand that the answer to the question, who am I, is that I am God's masterpiece. Why does this matter? I'm just going to give you a couple of things. Because I am God's masterpiece, I can let him be on display, not me. Maybe you have some insecurity, feeling like you have nothing of value to offer. Uh, Maybe you get nervous when you're in the spotlight socially or professionally. Maybe you feel pressure to live up to expectations. Maybe you're uncomfortable about being open with your faith. Many things can make us feel insecure. And I think back to Jean Harrison, who was having such a hard time finding God amidst the laundry and the cleaning and the shopping. Maybe her experience now is laying the groundwork for some great writing that she's going to do later. Maybe she is raising the next Billy Graham. Maybe she is being called to help her next-door neighbor know who Jesus is. We don't usually know what God's plan is for us until we see it working out in our lives. Uh, But I can assure you that God has a plan for you, and the work he has in that plan for you is important. He is so radically creative that he created each of us with certain giftings that he wants to uniquely use in your sphere of influence. The people that he has placed in your life and the way you relate to them is unique from anyone else in this room and anyone else in this world for that matter. Conversely, maybe you are prideful. The Bible tells us that since we are his new creation, created anew in Christ Jesus for the good works that he planned for us to do, we have nothing to boast about for ourselves. It says, the Bible says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do not consider what he has given you or the works that he has given you to be any lesser or any greater than anyone else in this room or anyone else in this world. You are his masterpiece, and so is every saved person in this room. You are surrounded by masterpieces. Secondly, because I am God's masterpiece, 
I can stop trying to make myself into something else. How can I be better than his masterpiece? It's, that's not possible. If we try to find our value in any creation of the world, anything we try to create ourselves to be, we will lead a wasted life of frustration and disappointment and ultimately death. Charles Spurgeon, again, wrote, I have heard a great deal about evolution and development, but I am afraid that if any one of us were to be developed to our utmost, apart from the grace of God, we should come out worse than before the development began. Now, God does continue to work in us. He creates his masterpiece and continues to improve on his masterpiece. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3. And we all are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. We all are being transformed, are being transformed into his image, Jesus' image. Only God can improve upon his masterpiece that he has already created. And uh, the only improvement can be to make us be that much more like Jesus. That's the only way to improve it. The more we are, the more his glory is on display in us. Let me just close with some words from Jonathan Edwards. He wrote, God's most stupendous creation is spiritually dead man made alive, created in his image, yet born in sin, to be recreated in the image of his son. Dear saint, don't ever forget that you are the subject of Christ's two creations, two creations, and as the result of his second creation, we are his ultimate workmanship, his masterwork. This week we celebrate a new year. And if you are not in Christ, if you do not know Christ yet as your Savior, what better way to celebrate a new year than to be his new creation? And if you already are in Christ, then what better way to Spend your new year then to put him on display in your life. Let me invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, it blows me away that what you have done for us is even greater than your creation of the universe. And I, I thank you for it, Lord. And I pray that uh, we continue to grow in our understanding of that, that those that you have already made your adopted children will understand it more deeply and put you on display in an even more beautiful way. And I pray that those that are hearing this message that don't that don't know you yet. Lord, that you will 
that you will bring them to you and that they can experience the joy of, of being your adopted child and your new creation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.